Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. How many of you know that you should never ask a woman her age, right? Some ladies don't mind sharing that information, and others guard it with the security of the presidential nuclear codes. I heard about one girl who asked her aunt, what should you say if a man asks you her age? The aunt replied, you just tell him that a woman's age is her business. And then after a pause, the aunt said, and I've been in business for quite some time. This morning, our text is going to begin with revealing a woman's age. That woman is Sarah, the wife of Abraham. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter number 23, and we're going to look at this chapter as we continue our verse-by-verse study through this all-important book of the Bible, Genesis, this book of beginnings, this book of foundation, this book of really understanding who God is and His plan for our lives. And we've been working our way through here for, this is our 32nd message in Genesis, and and we should, Lord willing, finish up chapter 23 today. To remind you where we are, because of the sake of time, I don't have a lot of time to go through the context of where we're at and the history of where we've been in this series, but Abraham and Sarah are some of the main characters we're going to see today in our story. Abraham and Sarah were a very special couple. God had called them to leave their home, to leave their family, to leave their homeland. God said, I have a very special plan and purpose for you. And in process of time, what we call the Abrahamic covenant, or the promise to Abraham, God gave. uh, God promised Abraham that he would make of him a great nation. He would give him a son. The only problem was when he told, when God told Abraham that, Abraham was around like 75 years old. He was, he and his wife were in their 70s, 80s before they ever, and so they ended up having a miraculous son, Isaac, um, at the age of 100 for Abraham and 90 for Sarah. Chapter 22, we were in 21 last Sunday, we we did a a jump back a chapter, we've already finished 22 a couple of weeks ago. Chapter 22, so chapter 21 is when Isaac was born, and God had promised, I'm going to give you a son, and from that son is going to come a very special group of people that I have a very special plan for. It would be what we call today the Jewish people. Those were, at that time in the Old Testament, those were God's chosen people to bring forth His Son, our Messiah, our Christ, Jesus Christ. We've sung so much about um, this morning. God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you a son, and from that son is going to multiply an entire nation of people, and from your lineage, I am going to send my son. And, And historians, you can trace it back, that is exactly what happened. And through Abraham, God was going to give him a son. So, Genesis 21 is where that miracle son comes. Genesis 22 is a really kind of, man, uh, not not confusing, but just like, why would God do this chapter where God asks Abraham, I want you to surrender and sacrifice your son to me. And Abraham thought that his son was going to die. Why would you do this, God? You gave me this miracle at age 100, and as we saw, saw a couple of weeks ago, God was not looking for the sacrifice of a son, God was looking for the surrender of a father. 
And, and so God, uh, there in Genesis 22, miraculously provides himself a lamb as God provides a substitute sacrifice to provide for Isaac's salvation, a beautiful foreshadowing and picture of Jesus who would be our substitute sacrifice to pay for our sins. So that is where we find ourselves in Genesis 23, and we start the, the chapter telling a woman's age, her age of death, I'm sorry, age of, her age at the time of her death is recorded, verse number one, and Sarah was an hundred and seven and twenty years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Useless Bible trivia fact for you to take with you, Sarah is the only woman in the Bible whose age of death is recorded. And, uh, and, and throughout, throughout this book, Moses often gives us updates of her age. He did not, Moses did not understand the rule that women don't want their age to be known. And so we find out throughout there, and the only time that a woman's age of death is recorded in Scripture is Sarah here. At 127 years old, she dies. And uh, a bit of a sad-sounding sermon title this morning. It doesn't sound very encouraging, but I believe the message will be. This morning we're going to see three lessons from a funeral. Three lessons from a funeral. I want you to see a few things. Let's read verses 1 and 2 together. Genesis, or let's, we already read verse 1. Let's read verse number 2. Follow along as I read, if you will. Verse number 2. And Sarah died in Kerjath Arba, the same as Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. So we have 137-year-old Abraham has lost the love of his life. He has a son now that, that is in his 30s, and, and, and he's lost, and the Bible gives us those emotions. The Bible shows us the, 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 the depth of, of grief and, and of pain as he says goodbye. The Bible says he came to mourn for her, and he weeps. And so you can picture this old man undoubtedly with a flowing beard and, and just the tears streaming down his face, falling down his face. We're going to see this morning three lessons that we can learn from this Old Testament story, as well as in the New Testament, there's a chapter in Hebrews called Hebrews, uh, it's Hebrews 11, we sometimes call it the Hall of Faith chapter. Not Hall of Fame, but Hall of Faith. It, it, is, it, it gives us, it records a bunch of Old Testament characters that showed great faith. And Abraham and Sarah are some of the main ones that are highlighted in the Hall of Faith chapter. And so if you have uh, your Bibles with you, let's put a, a marker here in Genesis 24, and hold your hand here and turn also over to Hebrews 11. We're going to turn back and forth three times this morning and see the story of Abraham and Sarah in Hebrews 11 and then in Genesis 23. I want to give us three lessons from a funeral this morning, from the Old Testament story and these New Testament statements as well. Number one in verses one and two here, I see Abraham's grief, a lesson on sorrow. The first thing I see at this funeral is Abraham's grief, a lesson on sorrow. We've prayed for Kim recently, the homegoing of your mom, and your dad is here, and, and there is a great, a, a great sorrow when we say goodbye to a loved one on this earth. And from these two verses, I, I'm reminded of two things. Number one, I'm reminded from this funeral, from Abraham's grief, I'm reminded, number one, that death is inescapable. We realize that, right? Aside from Jesus Christ who conquered death, and Enoch and Elijah who did not see death, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament, they were translated, aside from those three, death is undefeated. 
I'm a big sports fan. And one saying that we say in sports as, as athletes get a little older, father time is undefeated, meaning there's no one playing professional sports into their 50s. Tom Brady was, he was doing his best, but even he stepped out at whatever it was, 45 or so. And in sports, we say father time is undefeated, meaning age catches up to us all. The reality is, physically speaking, death is undefeated. Now, praise God, spiritually speaking, death is completely defeated by Jesus Christ. But death is inescapable. And we do all kinds of things to try to push off our date of death, don't we? And some of them are not bad. We, we, we exercise and we work on things. We, we'll do all kinds of crazy things to try to, to push off the date of death. Some people will want to push that date so far, they'll, they're so, they'll do anything. They're even willing to eat kale. Like, if that doesn't tell you, anybody willing to eat kale is really trying to do something, right? To me, kale takes years off of my life. But we'll do all kinds of things to, to try to push away that date, but the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. It is not, church, if we will die, but when. Sarah had her fair share of mistakes and mess-ups, and I love the fact that even the heroes of the Bible, the Bible does, is not shy about sharing their mistakes and mess-ups along the way. Sarah had doubted God. Sarah had, had brought and, and had come up with some plans that God was not happy about. But we see here at age 127, Sarah dying, having surrendered to God and to His plan and fulfilling His plan for her life. But death is inescapable. Rather than focusing on how long you will live, you and I would be better served to consider how well we will live. It's not necessarily about, it's been said, the, the length of years in our life, but the years in our life, but what we put into those years. And Sarah had done a good job of living for God. Not only do I see here in these first two verses a reminder that death is inescapable, but also a reminder that grief is universal. There's no way around it. The reality is, death hurts. When you say goodbye on this earth, and I know that we often say things like, it's not goodbye, it's see you later, and I believe all of that. If we're saved, if we know Christ, we will see them again in heaven. But the reality is, on earth it is goodbye. On earth we'll never hear those voices again. On earth, we won't be able to talk to them again. And, and, and grief, you can see it there. He came to mourn and to weep for her. Death brings sorrow, and that's okay. That is part of the human experience. Death brings sorrow, and the Bible shows that with Abraham here. Abraham, a man listed as a man of great faith in Hebrews 11, sorrowed when his wife died. He mourned when his wife died. That is a part of our lives as we do that. But I love, I love, I love what Paul said to the church, the believers at Thessalonica. He said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. That is, that word asleep does not mean taking a nap. Those that have died, here's what he says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others, do we have that verse there, teach? Even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus shall God bring with him. I love that, that you sorrow not as others which have no hope. Here's the reality for the believer. Do we sorrow, yes or no? Yes. But if we know Christ, here's what Paul said to the believers at Thessalonica, we don't sorrow as those that have no hope. 
Don't be ignorant, brethren. Even when you say goodbye, you have, a, you have a hope. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even those also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Do we sorrow? Absolutely. Is it difficult? Absolutely. But we sorrow not as those that have no hope. Our church, I told you the story of the college these young men are at this last semester. They had a great grief on their campus, and we sent a love offering to a dear friend of mine, our missionary man. Matt Goins, as their 18-year-old son uh, uh, was killed tragically by a drunk driver as he was working his college job in landscaping. And I saw just yesterday, as his dad posted on social media, uh, a a verse that was about just being overwhelmed and cast down in his soul, and he said, this is how I'm feeling today. What is he saying? We sorrow, but not as those that have no hope. Death is inescapable. Grief is universal. Even in the the most painful moments of life, what's the lesson on sorrow we can learn from Abraham here? Even in the most painful moments of life, there is grace and comfort and perspective for the believer that understands biblical truth. Would you turn, hold your hand here, and let's go over to Hebrews 11. I want you to see why could Abraham sorrow not as those that have no hope. Verse number 8, Hebrews 11, verse number 8, I want you to see it for yourselves this morning. The Bible says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country. He was living in this place, but it wasn't home for him, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Here it is, verse 10. Would you read it aloud with me? Hebrews 11, verse number 10. Ready? Begin. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker was God. Why could Abraham be comforted when his heart was broken here on earth? Because his focus was on the life to come. He knew as he cried for his wife that was now dead, he knew that Sarah had traded in her Bedouin tent for an ivory palace. He understood, the Bible said, by faith, by faith, he looked for a city to come. This world was not his home. He was just passing through. He looked for a city to come whose builder and maker was God. You know what's a good thing to do in the midst of our sorrow? To turn our eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Here's the reality. Eternal perspective will bring comfort to your earthly pain. Abraham sorrowed three lessons from a funeral, a lesson on sorrow. We see as as we compare to Hebrews 11, yes, he sorrowed, but he was just a stranger here. He didn't, have all his, he didn't have all his eggs in this earthly basket. He was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. We sorrow not as those that have no hope if we know Christ and we keep our eyes on the eternal. There is a faith and a hope and a comfort that comes. Let's turn back to Genesis 23. Thank you for turning back and forth. We don't normally do it this way, but today we are. Genesis 23, verse number 3, the Bible says, let's continue to read, And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, I'm a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the children of Heth answered Abraham, saying unto him, Hear us, my Lord, thou art a mighty prince among us. In the choice of our sepulchres bury thy dead. None of us shall withhold from thee his sepulcher, but that thou mayest bury thy dead. We see here Abraham's tears, but we also see his testimony. 
They said, you're a prince among us. Now, he wasn't one of them. He wasn't a citizen of their country, but he had a great testimony. Contrast that, for those that have been with us for our study, contrast that with his nephew Lot. How was Lot's testimony in the world? His own children. He had lost his testimony with his own children. Abraham, what a great testimony that he had. And they said, we'll help you whatever you need. Basically, Abraham said, I, I, I don't live here. I don't have a, I don't have a plot. I need, I need a grave. I need a place to bury my wife. I need somebody's grave. Can I buy it off of somebody? Is basically what he said. And they said, we'll help you out. By the way, as we see Abraham's testimony, I want to remind you, it's the believer compared to Lot. It's the believer who maintains a godly testimony who will make a true impact in the lives of those around them. Number two, second lesson. We see here Sarah's grave. So we have Abraham's grief, a lesson on sorrow. Here we see Sarah's grave, a lesson on faith. Verse number seven, this is an encouraging one. Look at verse seven, please. And Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, even to the children of Heth. And he communed with them, saying, If it be your mind that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat from me to Ephron, the son of Zohar. So they said, Whoever's grave you want, he said, I want Ephron's. That he may give me, that's not Zach, that's, that's a different one in the Old Testament. That he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he hath, which is the end of his field, for as much money as it is worth, he shall give it me for a possession of a bearing place amongst you. And Ephron dwelt among the children of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the audience of the children of Heth, even of all that went in at the gate of a city, saying, verse 11, would you read it aloud with me? Ready? Begin. Nay, my Lord, hear me, that field give I thee. And the cave that is therein, I give it thee. In the presence of the sons of my people, give I it thee. Bury thy dead. Three times in that verse he says, I give you my grave. Abraham comes. He's weeping. His wife is dead. He's a widower. He's mourning. I don't, I don't live here. I mean, I live here, but I don't own property here. I'm a stranger. I'm a sojourner. This isn't my country. This isn't my people. I'm looking for a better country. I need somewhere to bury my wife. I... You've been a wonderful man in our country. You can have whatever grave you want. He said, could I talk to Ephron? I'd like to get his grave, and I'll pay whatever it needs to be paid. And Ephron comes, and he says, I give it to you. I, I give it to you. And what, what is the lesson here on Sarah's grave, a, a, a lesson on faith? What is the lesson here? Sarah's grave is important because her tomb, I want you to get this, her tomb was the only piece of real estate in all of Canaan that Abraham actually possessed during his lifetime. Why does that matter? Do you remember God's promise to Abraham? What was it? Abraham, look to the north, and look to the south, and look to the east, and look to the west. And as far as you can see, I promise I'm going to give you that land. What they call Canaan in the Bible, today is Israel. That's where God brought his people back, and they came back in um, 1949. And, those, and they, that was the promised land that God had promised his people, and God has divinely continued to give that back to his people. And, and really, the protection of Israel with those that are around them is a, it can only be attributed to the miraculous protection of God Almighty. I've been there several times. But God had promised, I'm going to give you all of this. And what did Abraham have in his real estate portfolio when he died? One grave in one cave. One grave in one cave. I don't know about you, that doesn't seem like how life was supposed to work out if I leave my family and I leave my friends and I follow God. 
He promised me I was going to have all of this. Hold your hand here. Turn back over to Hebrews 11. I want you to see this. God had promised him all of the land as far as his eyes could see. He promised it would be his family's land. I want you to look back at the New Testament account of Abraham's faith. Hebrews 11, verse number 13. Would you read it aloud with me? You're listening well this morning. Hebrews 11, verse number 13. Let's read it aloud. Ready? Begin. These all died in faith. By the way, when it says these all, that's talking about Abraham and Sarah. Let's read it again. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Do you see what it said there? They had seen it afar off, they had not received it. It says there, not having received them, but they were persuaded of them and embraced them. What is the lesson here? The lesson here is Abraham and Sarah trusted God even when life didn't turn out the way they thought it would. Even when God's promises didn't come through in the way they thought they would. Have you ever been there? We call it in our society a a midlife crisis. We get somewhere into our 40s or 50s, we stop by the Corvette dealer, we go down to Fashion Island to get some work done, some hair plugs, whatever we've got to do. And why do we call it a midlife crisis? Because it's like, man, life didn't turn out the way I thought it would. And by the way, Just go to the handheld. Oh, I'll turn it off. I don't know what's happening there. Test one, two. And life didn't turn out the way that they thought it would. All he died with, again, in his real estate portfolio, a grave in a cave. God had promised him the entire land. But do we see Abraham cursing God? Do we see Abraham bitter at God? Do we see Abraham angry at God? I live for him. I sacrifice for him. And he let me down. I gave my life to him. And this is where I ended up. Oh, no. But do you know why that was? Because it was a life of faith. What is faith? Faith is believing without seeing. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What does it say here? They saw them afar off. They never got to enjoy them. But by faith, they believed that if they lived for God, God would fulfill his promises in his way and in his time. And by the way, he did, but Abraham and Sarah never got to see it completely fulfilled from themselves. But what we see is Abraham was okay with what his life looked like. Why? Because God, because following God for Abraham wasn't about stuff he could get, but someone he could get to know and love. In, in, in American Christianity, and really it's, it's, it's across the country, around the world, There are certain people that will tell you that following God is about what you can get. If you follow God, you get this. And it's a very Western mindset. It's a very Americanized mindset that we have. My life should get better and easier and more stuff, and I'll get more rich. We often call it the prosperity gospel. If you follow God, your life is going to get easier. The only problem is Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. The only problem is Jesus told his disciples, they hated me. If they hated me, don't you think they're going to hate you? The only problem was Jesus said, if if you follow me at times, your life is not going to be easy, but that's okay because I'm going to be with you. And Abraham understood that following God wasn't just about the gifts he could give. It was about the relationship with the giver. Abraham was more focused on the giver than he was on the gifts. I want you to think about that. 
and ask yourself, can I say that in my life? Am I more focused on the giver than I am on the gifts? When do we often say, hashtag blessed, when something really good happens in our lives? When we get the raise, when we get the, I should have just thought of it right now, I should have thought about this during preparation sermon study. I would have shown you a little 40 second clip I was watching the NBA playoffs, and the 34-year-old coach of the Boston Celtics, they were, went down. They were expected to win. They were the two-seed playing the eight-seed. They should have won that series. And I think they went down 3-0, right? Yeah, because they almost came back. They went to game seven. They went down 3-0, and nobody's won. Nobody's ever come back to win. And he's, a, a, from what I can tell, a solid Christian testimony. And he basically said in his post-game interview, he says, everybody gives glory to God when they win the championship. You can go find it. Everybody gives glory to God. But he said, what about these places where maybe we can grow and God has, has allowed this and this is in our lives. I, he's still good to me. I still give him glory even if professionally my life is crumbling around me. If we were supposed to do this and my leadership is getting attacked all over the media. Abraham was more focused on the giver than he was on the gifts. Could that be said of you and of me? Why do we follow God for how we think he can make our lives better, easier, richer, more comfortable or because he loved us so much that he gave his only son for us so that the least we could do is give our lives back to him. Are you following God for his gifts or for the gift of fellowship with him? Because if you're only following him for gifts, guess what's gonna happen when he doesn't give you something you think he should in the time frame you think he should? You're gonna walk away. I've met people. I used to go to church. My mom, my dad, my aunt, my uncle, my husband, my wife got cancer and I prayed for God to heal them. And he didn't answer me. I'm done with that God stuff. What are they saying? I followed him for the gifts. And when he didn't give me the gifts I thought I deserved in the time I thought I deserved it, I'm done with him. This is a lesson on faith. Sarah's grave was the only thing Abraham had. And yet he followed God until death. Because if we're only following him for that, we'll walk away. Don't raise your hand. But has anyone in here ever forgotten your wife or husband's birthday? Okay, raise your hand. I kind of like to see it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> or anniversary. Don't raise your hand, but have you ever given a really terrible gift to a loved one? Anybody want to be honest? You've given a really bad gift to a I'd love to hear the stories in the lobby, all right? Stop by and see me on the way out. Tell me what that was. Our kids, who are now older teenagers, they still give me and Tiffany a hard time. When a few years ago, uh, at Christmas, we, we gave TJ, who's running the slides back there, we gave TJ a handheld battery-operated leaf blower for Christmas. Why is that funny? What 12-year-old doesn't want to go out and blow leaves around the backyard? I thought it was a great, I thought it was a great gift. My, actually, it was my wife's idea. All right, I'm going to throw her under the bus. But I agreed, okay? Like, yeah, TJ, he likes, I guess, blowing leaves. I don't know why we just gave him a Black & Decker leaf blower. And they still give us a hard time. TJ, how many times have you blown leaves in the backyard with your leaf blower? How many? Zero. That's what I thought. We should have sent that back to Amazon. Is that still sitting at the house somewhere? It's still there. Anybody need a leaf blower? We've got one. If you've got an anniversary coming up, your husband will love it. We won't even talk about this last Christmas, the amazing gift of a bike helmet I re-gifted my wife. She was not, did not, was not that impressed. It was a helmet I bought for myself. It was too small, so I put it in a box and gave it to her at Christmas. For some reason, she didn't appreciate my thoughtfulness on that one. You know, sometimes, sometimes, 
the gifts of God aren't exactly what we had hoped for, aren't exactly what we expected, but it's a lesson on faith. God, I trust you even when your promises didn't come through the way I thought they should or would. I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna live for you. Lastly, I've gotta, I've gotta hasten. Number three, we see here Ephron's gift, a lesson on salvation. I don't have the time. For the sake of time, I'm not gonna read verses 12 through 20. You can read them. Skip back to Genesis um, uh, uh, 23, if you will. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna summarize it for you. You can read it later if you like, verses 12 through 20. Basically what happens is, after Ephron says, I give you my grave, Abraham said, well, no, 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 how much is it? And he said, oh, ah, 400 shekels of silver, but what is that between me and you? That's ah, not a big deal. And Abraham gives him 400 shekels of silver. If you've ever traveled to the Middle East or the Far East, you understand that culturally it is embedded in their culture that they must negotiate and bargain. You go into a market and they're going to ask, you're gonna to try to get a better deal. It's actually kind of fun to do. If you go, go to the Holy Land, go, I've been, in, I've been in Singapore, Malaysia, Cambodia, all different places, China. You go to markets and you're gonna do this. And this was in their culture. They're going to negotiate. And so what happened here, Ephron said three times in verse 11, I think it was, you can have my grave. And, and Abraham, out of kind of like if somebody offers to pay for the meal at a restaurant, you're like, oh no, let me get that, and you take a really long time getting your wallet out, you know what I'm talking about? No, and kind of culturally, you're not gonna let them, are you, are you sure, are you, are you sure? Good, because I didn't bring my wallet, that's gonna work out perfectly. So Abraham, I think culturally kind of says, no, no, tell me what it is. And Ephron, I think in that negotiating culture, he starts at the highest spot of, of what the value of that grave was. And we've got some realtors in here, they priced it really high, thinking, well, we're gonna negotiate here and we're gonna get some counter offers going back and forth. And what does Abraham say? 400 shekels of silver, money isn't important to me right now, I need a grave for my wife, you can have it. And Ephron's grave is a lesson on salvation is what I'm applying here. And here we see a reminder of how man gives to others. How does man give? Very often man gives with strings attached. It's often been said there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? If somebody's giving you something, what's the angle? What are they trying to get from you? We're keeping, Sammy and I, we have a, some of our staff guys, there's a thing, if somebody pays when we go out to eat or whatever, and when Sammy first came, he would say a statement, and he would pay, and like, what do I owe you? And he would say, we're not keeping track. We're not keeping track. And we went out with the Robersons on Friday night for dinner, and he had bought um, some tickets for us to go see a movie with our two families. And I bought the dinner, and he got the, the but he had already bought the tickets. And I said, I said, how, how much do I owe you? What's the cost on these tickets? He said, nah, we're good. And I said, we're not keeping track. He said, that's right, homie. And uh, we're not keeping track. I like friends like that that don't keep track, all right? Anybody, I need some other friends like that that don't keep track. What does man do? We keep track, don't we? I paid last time, you pay this time. Man gives with strings attached. Man gives for their own personal gain often. Man often gives expecting something in return. Contrast this with Abraham's salvation. What man had given him in the darkest time of his life, one of the deepest, darkest times of his life as his wife had died, was, was really given, yes, it, it benefited Abraham, but it also benefited Ephron. Turn back over to Hebrews 11 and I'll wrap it all up. Hebrews 11, verse number 16. Look at Hebrews 11, verse number 16. The Bible says, but now they just 
desire a better country, still speaking of Abraham and Sarah, that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. He got Ephron's grave. God has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Verse 19, last verse, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. What did Abraham find out that God gives salvation and Abraham did nothing for it? Abraham got Ephron's grave for 400 shekels of silver. Abraham got eternal life for nothing of his own. God gave him freely the gift of salvation. Ephron wanted 400 shekels of silver for a grave. God said, I've got a city I'm preparing you for you, and my son paid the price. Well, what's the cost? What's, what's it going to be? Let's, let's do some negotiating. Oh, no, you can't afford this city, but you don't have to because I sent my only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay your payment so that you could have what, what was Abraham looking for for his wife, a final resting place for her body. God said, I've got the ultimate resting place for your soul where you will live with me for all eternity, and it's a lesson on salvation. God doesn't give like man gives. What did Jesus say to his disciples? My peace I give unto you. What did he say? Not as the world giveth give I unto you. How does the world give? With strings attached, expecting something in return for their own gain. Jesus said, I give you my peace, not the way the world gives. And he said, I want you to understand that. Ephraim sold Abram a grave to bury his wife for 400 shekels. God gave Abraham a heavenly home for all eternity to, at no cost to Abraham. What a contrast. Sometimes people think the Old Testament and the New Testament are very different, and there are differences, and there are some things to understand as you read them. But like, how are people saved in the Old Testament? People wonder. How do people get to heaven in the Old Testament? Abraham was saved the exact same way you and I are saved today, by grace through faith. There's nothing Abraham could do to earn his righteousness, and there's nothing you and I can do to earn our righteousness. It is only by God. And Titus said it this way. In the book of Titus, it says, uh, Paul said, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed, has shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, being justified by his grace. We should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's not by works of righteousness Man offers earthly possessions for a cost. Jesus offers eternal life with no strings attached. Remember that one time I did a favor for you? Now you've got to do this. There's nothing you can do today to make God love you any more than he does, and there's nothing you can do today to make God love you any less than he does. Well, Pastor Ryan, you don't know what I've done. I don't, but God does, and Christ still died on the cross for you and for everything you've done. Paul said to the church at Ephesus, he said, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Have you grown disillusioned with the way that people have treated you? It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, you gotta live, look out for number one. May I encourage you this morning, come to Christ and find the greatest, most fulfilling, most valuable gift you could ever receive. The gift of complete forgiveness of your sins and eternal life in heaven and you don't do, have to do anything for it other than receive it by faith. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the gift, the gift of God is 
is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Abraham cried out in need of a resting place after death for his wife. And what did Ephron do? Ephron may have taken advantage of a difficult time in Abraham's life to enrich himself while also helping Abraham. It was a win-win, what we would call it. It was a win-win. But it's a reminder that God only and always does that which is good for his children. We cry out to him in need. Will you cry out to him for eternal life following your death? If you will, he'll give you his love and his grace and his mercy with no strings attached. Three lessons from a funeral. Abraham's grief, a lesson on sorrow. We sorrow not as others who have no hope, for we're looking for a city. Oh, we still sorrow, but we have hope. We have peace that the world can't give. Sarah's grave, a lesson on faith. How many of you figured out life isn't always going to turn out exactly the way you thought it would? But you can still trust him. And then Ephron's gift, a lesson on salvation. Man gives with strings attached. Abraham received salvation, and it was all of God. The ram in the thicket that saved his son was the lamb provided by God. It was all of God. Welcome back, Jeremy. I just saw you back there. Three takeaways for each of us in this passage. What can you take with you this week? Three lessons from a funeral. Number one, run to him. Run to him in your sorrow. Number two, rest in him in your suspense. That waiting time, wondering what's next, what's going to happen. Rest in him. I'm in this strange country trying to live for God, and it's not working out the way that I thought it would. It's not going as quick as I thought it would. I'm not getting real estate as fast as I thought I would. Rest in him in your suspense and receive him for your salvation. Three lessons from Sarah's funeral. Which one do you need today? Let's carry these thoughts with us. And if you're sorrowing, keep your eyes on the eternal. And if you're wondering what he's doing, rest in his timing and in his promises. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, Make today the day, as Sammy's, Pastor Sammy said, that you pass from death unto life. Let's close in a word of prayer. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.